Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. How bad are the injuries? Uh, they've both been stabbed. Right, times. several times. All right, down the line for me, okay? It was a cold winter night in Norton Fitzwarren, England, on the 21st of November 2021. A married mother of two was at home with her husband when an argument broke out. Shortly afterwards, she was lying in bed alone in the bedroom when her silence was shattered by deafening screams coming from somewhere nearby. When the new builds came up for sale at Dragon Rise Estate in Norton Fitzwarren, Somerset, in 2016, 36-year-old Stephen Chapel and his 33-year-old wife Jennifer fell in love. They set their sights on a three-bedroom townhouse that included a well-manicured garden and a parking space just out the front. Dragon Rise Estate was just a stone's throw away from the centre of the village making it a very desirable area for families and workers alike. The couple had two young sons, one born in 2015 and the other born the following year. And the turnkey homes would be perfect for the young family. They secured a mortgage for the £250,000 home and moved in. The chapels were a hard-working couple, with Jennifer working at a local garden centre and Stephen working as a computer teacher at a secondary school. Greg Mockrich, head teacher at West Somerset College, said of Stephen, Steve was a fantastic colleague at West Somerset College, a brilliant teacher that cared deeply about the students in his care. He led innovations in the use of technology across the school, as well as within his own teaching. 
at Jennifer's place of employment. She was known for her welcoming and friendly demeanour. Rob Brooks, the manager at Otter Garden Centre, said of her, She was a well-loved member of staff and a very kind person. We all loved her, and so did the customers. Both Stephen and Jennifer were extremely devoted to their children, and absolutely adored being parents. They were familiar faces in the estate, where Jennifer was known for her love for dogs. No matter how busy, she always made sure to stop and pet each dog she saw in her travels throughout the neighbourhood. As one neighbour, Barbara said, she was always really happy and would always stop for a laugh and a joke. Her hair was always bright, just like her personality. While Dragon Rise Estate was perfect for the Chapel family, the new-built homes didn't have enough parking spaces for the residents, and it resulted in the residents parking in whatever space was available. Each home only had one parking space, but the public transport in the area wasn't the best, so most residents had multiple cars, including Stephen and Jennifer. This resulted in people trying to fit two cars into one space, which sometimes resulted in their neighbour being blocked in. As one resident, Sharon Sedgbeer, said, It's horrendous. People park at bad angles, on corners, blocking driveways, because spaces are just so limited. The parking situation was never a bother for Stephen or Jennifer. That was until 2022, when Jennifer learned how to drive and they purchased a second car. Trying to park two cars on the single designated parking space proved to be difficult for the couple, and they needed to manoeuvre the cars in such a way that they were off the road. Sometimes this meant that Stephen or Jennifer's second car was encroaching on the parking space of their next-door neighbour, 34-year-old Colin Reeves and his wife, Kaylee Louise, and their two children, had moved in next door to Stephen and Jennifer back in 2018. Reeves was a former Commando Royal Engineer. He had served in Afghanistan, and his time in the army had seen him earn a number of medals, including the Afghanistan Campaign Medal and the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Medal. While serving in Afghanistan, Reeves' roles included manning positions on campus and carrying out shifts in hospitals, which dealt with casualties. He had seen his friends die, and he had handled detainees of terrorists. In 2017, he left the army and began working as a lorry driver. During this role, Reeves was involved in a serious crash when an elderly woman fell asleep at the steering wheel and smashed head-on into him. He had fallen unconscious, and he struggled with flashbacks from the crash. At first, the relationship between the two couples was amicable, but this changed with the introduction of the second car. While Stephen and Jennifer never parked over Reeves' parking space, their car did, to a degree, limit the access to it and it required them to manoeuvre around the chapel's car to get into their own parking space. This led to a handful of heated disputes between the two couples over the course of 2021, which began with Reeves telling Jennifer, You can't park there. She replied, You don't own the road. The tension became so intense that Reeves installed a camera which pointed at the parking space. 
Stephen and Jennifer's ring doorbell had captured one of these fueled interactions with their neighbour, Reeves, on the 11th of November 2021. In the footage, Jennifer can be seen approaching her front door. Reeves storms up behind her and accuses her of gobbing off. She's the one who started it. In regard to the gobbing off comment, a couple of days beforehand, Jennifer had been involved in a heated argument with Reeves and his wife, Kaylee, regarding the parking spaces. While the audio is difficult to decipher, Reeves called Jennifer a cheeky little bitch. In an aggressive tone, he then called her a fat bitch, as well as other derogatory terms, as she responded, You're the one who started it, so fuck off. She then unlocked her door and quickly darted inside. I'll be uploading the video of this incident up on my Patreon page. You can find the link in the show notes. After this interaction, Jennifer made a complaint to the police. An officer came out to speak with Jennifer, and she showed them the footage from the ring doorbell. But ultimately, she decided against taking further action. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tensions rose even further when Stephen crashed his car into Reeves' car as he returned home one evening. While Jennifer put on a brave face during these heated confrontations, she was absolutely petrified of Reeves. She confided in her friend and co-worker at the garden centre, Sandrine Marira, that she was scared of him. Sandrine recalled, she knew Reeves would kill her if she would say or do anything against him. She knew that he was ex-military. One afternoon, Reeves showed up at the garden centre with his two daughters. Sandrine recalled, The chair was turned sideways to face us at the counter, and he just sat there looking at us. That was pretty much it. Reeves had made Jennifer feel completely uneasy, and she even feared doing the school run on her own, in case she bumped into Reeves or his wife. She and Stephen talked about moving, simply to get away from the tension between the neighbours. It was a brisk winter night on the 21st of November, 2021, when a phone call came in to Somerset Police at around 9.45pm. You're through to the police. What's the location of your emergency? Uh, I've stabbed neighbour's husband and the mother. Right, where are you at the moment? Dragon Rise. Okay. Rise, is that Dragon Rise? Yes. All right, okay. Where did the incident happen? Sorry? Where did the incident happen? Um, dragon wise. All right, okay. And are you safe at the moment? Yes. All right, have you got any injuries? Whereabouts have you been stabbed? 
No, not me, the neighbours. The neighbours been stabbed by who? By me. By you? Yes. Right, okay. The phone call was from Colin Reeves. He confessed that he had just stabbed Jennifer and Stephen. And where are they? Are they in their house? Yes. All right, stay on the line for me, okay? How bad are the injuries? Uh, they've both been stabbed. Right, okay. Times. Several times. All right, stay on the line for me, okay? Are you in your house on your own? No, I'm with my wife, my children in bed. All right, okay. All right, tell me exactly what's happened. <sighs> tell me exactly what's happened. Take a deep breath. I went round. Yeah. With a knife. Okay. And I've stabbed both of them. All right. How many times? Uh, I don't know. A couple of times each. Not two or three times each, maybe. Okay. Are they still conscious and breathing? I don't think so. No. Okay. Okay. Are you at home now? Yes. And are they males or females? One male, one female. Okay. And you're currently in are you? Yes. All right. All right, stay on the phone to me, okay? What's your name? Colin Reeves. All right, Colin. How are you spelling your surname? R-W-E-V-E-S. All right. And did you say your wife is with you? Sorry? Did you say your wife is with you? Yes. All right. What kind of knife did you use? It was dagger. Okay. All right. Just stay on the line for me, okay? We're going to get some help out there as soon as we can. All right. Stay on the line for me, okay? Okay. How long ago did this happen? About 20 minutes. All right, All right, Colin, just stay on the line to me, okay? We're going to get some help out there. So you stabbed them both several times? Yes. Where's the knife now? It's in my house. Okay. All right. You've done the right thing by calling us, okay? Just getting some details done on the log, okay? What happened when you left? What was what was their situation when you left? They were both, oh, he was lying on the floor. She was she was lying on the sofa. Right. Okay. And were they awake? Were they? No, I think they were sort of drifting. And what room are they in? In the living room. Okay. Neighbors were alerted to the commotion and gathered outside the home. One of these neighbours, Timothy Slocum, had heard screaming coming from the chapel's home, and he wanted to investigate to check if they were okay. He entered the front door and into the living room. It was splattered in blood. Jennifer was found half-positioned on the sofa in her blood-spattered living room. Near the back door, he found Stephen. Timothy recalled, There was a lot of blood. I tried to feel a pulse on Stephen, but I couldn't. I put my hand on Jen, 
at which point an older man, Colin's dad, Brian Reeves, appeared in the house and told us to get out. Before police arrived at the scene, Reeves' father, Brian, arrived. He was aggressive as he ordered Timothy out of the home. Timothy was persistent. He said that he wanted to try and perform life-saving measures on the chapels, but Brian simply said that there was no point, that they were both already deceased. It took police 20 minutes to arrive at the scene. As Detective Inspector Neil Mead explained, they needed to risk assess the situation. He later commented, If someone's phoned up saying they have just stabbed somebody, obviously our primary aim is to preserve life. But we've also got to risk assess it and see what threat there is to officers that are attending. That's why the armed officers attended in the first instance. Eventually, police descended on the home. They entered the front door and they were immediately taken aback by the brutality of the scene before them. Much like Timothy had done earlier, they found Jennifer dead in the living room. She hadn't even gotten the chance to get up off the sofa before she was attacked with a knife. She had sustained six stab wounds to her upper chest and shoulder, which caused fatal injuries to a major blood vessel and her heart. As for Stephen, he had suffered six stab wounds, as well as three other minor injuries. Upstairs, they found the couple's two sons. Both were blissfully asleep, completely unaware of the horrors that unfolded just below them. Was it Colin Reeves was immediately arrested at the scene. Put your hands up. No, you make him. You go in the house. Put your hands up. Right. Hold still. Hold still. Listen, you're under arrest at the minute on the attempted murder of two people inside the address next door. Do you understand? As he was taken into custody, he commented, I shouldn't have done it. I ruined their lives and mine. He was brought to the police station where he was informed that both Stephen and Jennifer had been pronounced dead. Don't understand why I'm here, why why you're here. So the allegation is that this evening two people have been stabbed, okay, and have subsequently died. And you have called the police to say that you have stabbed two people. And so because they're dead, you've been arrested on suspicion of murder. That's, that's why you're here. There's probably a lot to take in right now. Because it's doing my job. Okay. Do you need to speak to a custody nurse about anything in particular, anything medical that you need to speak to a nurse about? What's that? Just confused. It may be a bit difficult to make out in that clip, but when he was informed of their deaths, he replied, I was just doing my job, before adding, it was an operation. However, when Reeves was brought in for further questioning, he refused to speak. 
Firstly, I just need to ask you, when you were arrested and brought into custody, when you were being assessed in the custody unit here, you said to the, um, the uh, I think it was a custody nurse, I shouldn't have done it, I've ruined their lives and mine. Can I just confirm, did you say that? No comment. And what did you mean by that? No comment. Explain to me exactly what happened inside Dragon Rise. Did you kill Jennifer and Stephen? No comment. How were you involved in their deaths? No comment. Reeve's wife, Kaylee, however, provided a statement. She stated, It was bugging him for months. He just let it go by. But it got to the point where he was finding it so difficult to get in and get out of his allocated parking space. So he just told them one day, Look. You can't park there. You're making it difficult for me. Her husband had already smashed into Colin's car. She told investigators that she had suffered grief from the chapels, telling investigators, If I was in my kitchen, she'd walk past, and she'd always laugh at me, stick her fingers up at the camera. I could never go and do the school run without her giving me dirty looks. As investigators were interviewing Reeves, tributes for the couple came flooding in. One friend wrote online, Make time for your friends. Make that visit to see family. You never know what could happen tomorrow. Another friend wrote, Absolutely unbelievable. Cherish your friends and family. You really don't know when it will be too late. In addition to the online tributes, a makeshift memorial began to grow outside the couple's home. Members of the community grappled with their grief as they left behind flowers and cards of condolences. One card from a neighbour read, Jennifer, you lit up the street with your smile. You and Steve have been such wonderful friends since you arrived in our lives. Such a kind and welcoming couple. You have left a void that will be felt across those who knew you. Words can't express how much we'll miss you. Due to the fact that police had been called out to the couple's home because of the arguments with Reeves in the past, the case was referred to the Independent Office for Police Conduct. While many neighbours of Stephen and Jennifer knew of the turmoil between them and the Reeves, the murder still stunned them to the very core. There's not much in this world more terrifying than the idea of your neighbour creeping into your home in the middle of the night and stabbing you to death as your children are asleep upstairs. One neighbour stated, Police have been out there on at least three occasions because of the parking. To think that you can get so angry about it when you all live on top of each other, like we do around here, it's just much easier to get on with each other. People are absolutely stunned that this has happened. They think they're just hiding in their homes. Scared, to be honest. They're all young, first-time buyers around here. It's dreadful. Another neighbour named Sarah spoke about Stephen crashing into Reeves' car. She stated, Things got even worse between them after that point. Both sides dug their heels in and were equally to blame for the dispute. The community truly came together in the wake of the shocking murder. Stephen and Jennifer had left behind two little boys 
The community wanted to do anything to try and make the family's grief just that tiny bit easier. The Justgiving was established, which read, Stephen and Jennifer Chapel were devoted, loving parents that were loved by many. Sadly, they were taken away from this world far too early, leaving behind two beautiful children. This page has been set up by the couple's close friends to raise funds to support their family and children in their time of need. We appreciate any donations received. It had a target of £5,000, but it reached over £23,000. As news of the case spread across the nation and social media like wildfire. One friend of the couple commented of the support. It's a real reflection of how special Steve and Jennifer were. In addition to the financial support, members of the community came forward in droves with gifts for Stephen and Jennifer's children. A collection point for Christmas gifts was set up at the local village hall. Chairman of the village hall, Don Wyatt, told BBC Radio Somerset, We've just said yes, we would want to help, and that's what we've done. We've given them a Christmas, I hope. That's the most important thing. Two days after the murder, Reeves appeared in court. He shuffled into the courtroom, wearing a prison-issued tracksuit, and he only spoke to confirm his name and address. After a two-minute hearing, he was remanded into custody. As he was led from the courtroom, one of his relatives shouted out, Love you, bro, while another told him to stay strong. The following day, Reeves appeared in court once more, but this time via video link. He was charged with two counts of murder. The court was informed that Reeves' defence team had approached a specialist psychiatrist with knowledge of traumatic stress disorder from military service. No bail application was made, and Reeves was ordered to return to court on the 23rd of December for his plea and trial preparation hearing. The tidbit of information regarding the specialist psychiatrist made it abundantly clear what route the defence were planning on taking, that Reeves was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder from his time in the army. When Reeves spoke with a healthcare professional following his arrest, he told her that he had not felt mentally well since leaving the army in 2017. He said that he was constantly tired, yet he couldn't sleep. At the next court hearing, Reeves was ordered to stand trial for the murder. Judge Peter Blair set a provisional trial date for the 6th of June 2022, with Prosecutor Adam Feast stating that he did not expect it to run longer than a week. The next time Reeves appeared in court was in May the following year. He admitted to manslaughter by reason of diminished responsibility, but denied murder. Prosecutor Feast told the court that the plea was not acceptable to the Crown and that the trial would be proceeding. Mr. Justice Garnham said to Reeves, Your trial date, as you know, is for June 8. You heard there is more work being undertaken by your defence team, and I am sure they will be speaking to you before this date. In the meantime, you shall remain in custody. On the 8th of June, the murder trial began at Bristol Crown Court. 
the jury were ushered into the courtroom, followed by Reeves. There was no denying that Reeves had carried out the murder, but the crux of the case was going to be whether the jury believed that he had diminished responsibility at the time, whether his actions could be explained by the fact he had an abnormality of mental functioning caused by a recognised medical condition that impaired his ability to understand the nature of his conduct, form a rational judgement and or to exercise self-control. There's nothing quite like unravelling a family mystery, especially one that has as many twists and turns as June's journey. In this mobile puzzle game, you play as June Parker, an amateur detective trying to solve her sister's mysterious murder. With a mystery this deep, you'll find yourself coming back to explore new scenes, knowing that the next clue is always in reach. June's journey is set in the Roaring Twenties, which gives the game a real glamorous feel. With more than a thousand scenes full of hidden clues, there's always something new to discover. I've now been playing this game for well over a year, and they're adding new chapters each week, so I'm never bored. There's countless cool features as well. One of my favourite is that you can build your own island estate, replete with expansive gardens. You can also join a detective club. I'm currently on Volume 4, Chapter 1, The Honeymooners, where June goes on her honeymoon and finds some clues at the beach, the old town, restaurant, hotel and fishing boat. I find myself mostly playing June's journey late at night as a way to relax, pick up where you left off to uncover new secrets, or start your investigation today and download June's Journey, available on Android and iOS mobile devices as well as on PC through Facebook games. During opening statements, the prosecutor detailed the arguments that had preceded the brutal murder of Stephen and Jennifer. Prosecutor Feast stated, The rights and wrongs of the dispute may matter not a jot, but it is clear that it was a source of stress that affected both families. He revealed that on the night of the murder, Reeves had been captured on the couple's surveillance footage, climbing over the fence that separated their home from his home. Reeves then opened up the unlocked back door and unleashed a frenzied stabbing attack in the living room, which lasted just one minute. While the surveillance camera didn't capture the murder, Jennifer could be heard screaming in terror as Reeves shouted, Die, you fuckers, die. Jennifer hadn't even gotten the chance to get up off the sofa before she was attacked. Neither she nor Stephen had any defensive wounds, which only highlighted the sheer speed of the attack. However, Stephen had seemingly managed to get out of the living room, either during or after the attack, before succumbing to his injuries near the unlocked back door, where Reeves had made his entry and exit. After the murders, Reeve climbed back over the fence and called police to tell them that he had stabbed his neighbours. The jury were told that at the time of the murder, Reeves had been under a lot of stress, including stress in his marriage. In just the minutes before the murder, Kaylee had told her husband that she wanted to try a trial separation. A recording device in their bedroom had captured her telling Reeves, There's only so many years I can take your shit. Kaylee told police that after telling Reeves of such, he went downstairs, then came back upstairs, and then went downstairs again 
before exiting the back door. Moments later, she heard deafening screams coming from the chapel's home next door. Kaylee bolted down the stairs and she immediately noticed that a ceremonial dagger was missing from the picture frame in which it was usually displayed alongside photographs of Reeves' time in the army. She was unaware that next door, her husband was using it to kill their neighbours. Prosecutor Feast said to the jury, This conversation about separating seems to be the last discussion between him and his wife, before he armed himself with the dagger, given when leaving the army, and going next door to kill his neighbours. Kaylee immediately called Reeves' father, Brian. He arrived at the scene in a matter of minutes with his wife, Lynn. Lynn recalled, He was as white as a ghost. He was just white. And he didn't look like Colin. He was just standing. He just looked right through us, as if he wasn't there, and said, I had to protect my family. Reeves told Brian and Lynn that he had stabbed his two neighbours. Brian then entered the chapel's home to find that a neighbour had already discovered the gruesome scene. It was at this moment that Reeves called police to confess to what he had done. During the defence's opening statements, defence attorney Joe Martin said that her client was not in his right mind and was not himself at the time of the murder. She said that he was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. On the first day of the trial, a psychiatrist who had been hired by the prosecution testified. Dr. Lucy Bacon had concluded that Reeves was not suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder from his time in the army, which was from 2002 until 2017. She said that Reeves had symptoms of moderate depression, but that there was nothing to suggest that it was undermining his ability to form a rational judgment or exercise self-control which meant that the defence of diminished responsibility did not apply. Reeves had told Dr. Bacon that his life felt dark all of the time. She told the courtroom, For me, that's quite an evocative description of low mood. There's no brightness, no enjoyment or happiness. Things are pretty miserable. She then continued, telling the jury, I would definitely say depression is a relevant factor in Mr. Reeves' actions. I wouldn't say depression caused him to do what he did, but I think, if you're looking at the totality of it, having depression played a part in it. From my point of view, I don't think it met the criteria of diminished responsibility. But that's my point of view, and that's a decision for the jury. Her testimony was followed by Dr. John Sanford, a psychiatrist hired by the prosecution. He found that Reeves had mild depression, but that he could operate fairly normally from day to day, and that he did not have an abnormality of mental function. While these two psychiatrists agreed that Reeves was not suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, the psychiatrist hired by the defence differed. Dr. Karen Goff testified that Reeves had complex post-traumatic stress disorder. She said that in her opinion, on the night of the murders, Reeves had dissociated forcing his brain to shut down. The defence would then call on Kaylee, Reeves' former wife. She told the jury that Reeves had not been the same since returning from Afghanistan. She said that he had suffered with mental health problems following his return from fighting the Taliban. She said she knew that he was suffering from PTSD. Her testimony then turned to the day of the murder. It had started like any regular day. 
Reeves had taken their two daughters to see the Christmas lights being switched on. They then visited the poppies that were laid out at the War Memorial for Remembrance Sunday the previous weekend. That night, she said that Reeves had put their daughters to bed and then came into their bedroom. She stated, We had not been getting along lately. He was asking me about my day and I was just ignoring him and telling him to go away. I was telling him to go away and stuff and I said maybe we should have a trial separation for two weeks to see how we go. I was in a bad place. I just found out my brother had been diagnosed with cancer. Kaylee described how she was alone in the bedroom when she could hear screaming coming from somewhere nearby. She jumped out of the bed and ran downstairs to find that Reeves had vanished from the home. She immediately noticed that a ceremonial dagger appeared to be missing. Fear immediately washed over Kaylee as she called her mother-in-law and Reeves' father. She said to them that she feared that Reeves had done something stupid and automatically speculated that he had gone next door and harmed the neighbours. Kaylee testified, It was all such a blur. Police took ages to come. They just took Colin away. He's not been the same since he came back from Afghanistan. Two or three weeks ago we had a heart-to-heart and he said his head was not in the right place. He asked if he wasn't here, would I be better off? He just needs help. Kelly also told the jury that Reeves had Pinky promised her that he would go and see a doctor in two weeks' time if he wasn't feeling well mentally. But by then, it was already too late. Stephen and Jennifer were dead, and Reeves was charged with their murder. According to Kaylee, she had been subjected to sniggering and dirty looks from Jennifer, to the point that she had felt unable to do the school run. From her testimony, it was evident that she felt a degree of remorse for how she had treated Reeves that night, telling the jury, I wish I listened to him. He's in a bad way. I pushed him away when he needed me the most. Under cross-examination by defence attorney Martin, Kaylee said that Reeves had been suffering from dark thoughts in the lead-up to the murders. She stated, He told me he was struggling because he was on his own in the lorry, having thoughts about leaving us, and that we'd be better off without him, which isn't the case. Following Kaylee's testimony, Reeves took to the witness stand to testify on his own behalf. He told the jury that he armed himself with the dagger, after the argument with his wife, and then sat at the bottom of the stairs, crying over their impending separation. However, he claimed that he had no recollection of actually removing the dagger from the frame. He claimed that he was triggered by the garden security light while climbing over the chapel's fence, which reminded him of a war zone. He said he went into buckle position on the floor, but then claimed that he had no memory of what happened next which meant no memory of the actual stabbing. He said to the jury, By the time that light came on, I remember being down on one knee. I felt as though I'd been seen. The white light was always a trigger for something, like someone setting off a trip flare. It was a feeling like something was about to happen. What you're trained to do in this situation is to get cover. I was trying to get down on my belt buckle and lie down on my front so I wouldn't be seen or get somewhere to cover. He admitted that he had carried the murder out, but said that he had no recollection of it, nor did he have any clue why he killed Stephen or Jennifer. 
He said the next thing he remembered was being in his living room, as Kaylee shouted at him. He stated, I feel ashamed, disgusted with myself for what I've done, for the pain and suffering I've caused. Those children will never see their mum and dad again because of me. I cannot understand why I did it. What was peculiar about Reeves' testimony was that he claimed that he remembered nothing. Yet when he called police, he was able to give the police dispatcher a detailed description of the murders, including where Stephen and Jennifer's bodies were to be found. He said, I was just in shock. It was not reality. It was almost a dream. I couldn't make sense of how or why. Under cross-examination, he was asked why he gave the no comment to investigators during his interview. He explained, I couldn't understand or make sense of what had happened, but I knew what had happened, so I was worried about what they were going to ask me. The whole time in police custody, and the start of being in prison, I was in shock. Because of the shock I was in, I thought best in that situation to say no comment. Testimony then turned to Reeves' mental state. He said he struggled to talk with psychiatrists about his problems and had never discussed his childhood with anybody. He said that he'd been the victim of domestic abuse while growing up and had struggled with suicidal thoughts since he was 12 years old. He said, I never talked to anyone as I thought it was a sign of weakness. I always tried to be tough and I didn't want to look weak in front of my father or anyone else. I never understood any different. While growing up, Reeves had been the victim of domestic violence at the hands of his father, and he watched his mother be hit by him on numerous occasions. According to Lynn, Brian had sought out help for mental health issues, but when her son developed into an adult, he couldn't do the same. Instead, he bottled all of his feelings up. The jury then heard that Reeves was returned early from his tour in Afghanistan to face a court-martial for a previous drunken assault in Norway, where he was doing Arctic training. This denied him the opportunity to decompress following a six-month tour, his defence team said. Upon returning home from the army, Reeves admitted to drinking heavily, which always resulted in explosive arguments with his wife. He admitted that on one occasion, he had even hit Kaylee. After a week-long trial, the jury were sent off to deliberate Reeves' fate. After deliberating for five hours and 21 minutes, they returned with a verdict. They found Colin Reeves guilty of the murder of Stephen and Jennifer Chapel, rejecting the defence of diminished responsibility. As the verdict was announced, sobs emanated in the courtroom from Stephen and Jennifer's loved ones. As for Reeves, he showed no emotion. Outside of court, Stephen and Jennifer's family provided a statement which read, No verdict will bring back our beautiful Jennifer and Stephen. If anything, these past ten days have prolonged us finding out how Stephen and Jennifer spent their final moments. The support of our friends and family has been what has got us through the past seven months. The support we have received from Jennifer and Stephen's friends shows how loved they both were. We now ask that we are left to process this in our own way, to be able to grieve properly and move forward as best we can. We will now focus on Jennifer and Stephen's beautiful boys, helping them to live the life that Jennifer and Stephen 
would have wished for them. The sentencing phase was to follow, and Stephen and Jennifer's loved ones were given the chance to provide victim impact statements. Jennifer's mother, Anne Clayton, described her daughter as an exuberant, caring, beautiful light in the world. She stated, For a mother to lose a child is something that causes never-ending pain, knowing there will forever be a darkness inside you, a light switched off in your soul that can never be replaced. The thoughts that enter your head every day, dark, horrid thoughts, you don't want to imagine the fear that they felt, the suffering that they endured, what their final thoughts were. Anne said that she would give anything to be able to hold her daughter one last time and tell her how much she loved her. She spoke about the loss of Stephen and Jennifer's two sons, lamenting on the fact that they will never know what it feels like to love her again, hug her, or get bedtime kisses. Stephen's sister, Mary Chapel, shared her fears that the two boys were so young that they may not remember their parents. She told the courtroom how they decided to tell the boys what happened, so that they wouldn't have to keep wondering where their parents were. She stated, I am incredibly grateful to the police officers who carried the boys out of that house so they didn't have to see anything. Mary had since taken the boys under her wing and was now caring for them. She said she was devoted to keeping Stephen and Jennifer's memories alive so that the boys never forget how loved they were. She stated, My life has been turned upside down in the wake of this, not only from the heartache or the surrealness of the situation, but because I'm now trying to balance a career with being a single parent, because I want to give the children everything they deserve and would have had from their parents, and I worry that I might not be able to provide this. Colin Reeves was then sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 38 years. In the wake of the sentence, his mother, Lynn, said that she was talking to lawyers to try and cut that sentence down. She said the prosecutors were not given the full extent of Reeves's mental health problems until days before his trial. She stated, You cannot condone what Colin did. He knows he deserves to be punished. But we believe he was let down by the psychiatrist who assessed his mental health for the court. His legal team were shocked by the length of the sentence and are considering an appeal. Crime Prosecution Service Joanna Clark fought back, stating, Reeves sought to avoid responsibility for murder by claiming his actions were the result of PTSD. Two psychiatrists agreed that although Reeves suffered from mild to moderate depression, this was not sufficient to be considered abnormal mental functioning that could lead to diminished responsibility. In fact, the Attorney General would then be asked to consider whether Reeves' sentence was a bit too lenient. However, the attempt to increase his sentence failed. The Attorney General's office ruled that the minimum of 38 years in prison was appropriate. What started out as a trivial argument over parking spaces became more and more toxic as the months went by. While Stephen and Jennifer Chapel feared Colin Reeves, they probably had no clue of the level of violence he was capable of until that cold winter night.
Well, besties, that is it for this episode of Morbidology. As always, thank you so, so much for listening. But I'd like to say a big, massive thank you to my amazing new supporters of on Patreon, Krista, Cynthia, and Amy. As you all know, Morbidology is a one-woman team, so the support on Patreon seriously goes such a long way, and I am eternally grateful. If you'd like to support the show, please do click the link to Patreon that's in the show notes. In exchange for your support, I send out merch. I also upload ad-free and early release episodes, bonus episodes of Morbidology Plus that aren't on the regular podcast platforms, and also behind the scenes, which includes bonus audio, bonus videos, and bonus case files. Can I ask a massive favor? And ask that if you enjoy the show, please do consider leaving me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Ratings and reviews are an easy way to support a show that you like, and I really do appreciate the feedback. Remember to check us out at morbidology.com for more information about this episode and to read our true crime articles. Until next time, take care of yourselves, stay safe and have an amazing week.